1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, there's a bit of breaking news out there. Apparently, there has been a little bit of a drone downing, and uh, the story is as follows. A Russian fighter jet uh, struck a United States Air Force MQ-9 Reaper drone over the Black Sea earlier today, and that was revealed by the United States European Command. Uh, Now, General Hecker commented on the drone, saying that our MQ-9 aircraft was conducting a routine operation in international airspace when it was intercepted and hit by a Russian aircraft, resulting in a crash and a complete loss of the MQ-9. We also have a clip of audio from our uh, Pentagon spokesperson, Brigadier General Pat Ryder, who explains that this is not only... um,
2: unprofessional, but this is the Russians harassing us. Listen to this. One of the Russian Su-27 aircraft struck the propeller of the MQ-9, causing U.S. forces to have to bring the MQ-9 down in international waters. Several times before the collision, the Su-27s dumped fuel on and flew in front of the MQ-9 in a reckless and unprofessional manner. This incident demonstrates a lack of competence in addition to being unsafe and unprofessional.
1: Now, General Ryder wasn't done there. He went on uh, to explain that the, this type of aircraft I- intercept isn't that uh, uncommon
2: to begin with. Listen to this. The vast majority of those uh, intercepts are uh, what we would consider safe and professional, uh, just wanting to see what's there, right? You're flying alongside it to, uh, to be able to see what's there. Um, In this particular case, though, again, uh, they collided with the aircraft, damaging the propeller uh, and essentially uh, putting in a situation where it was unflyable and uncontrollable. So we brought it down.
1: Now Russia has their version of events. uh, The um, What is his name here? The ambassador to the United States, Anatoly Antonov. He says that Russia felt provoked in all of this. Listen to this one.
3: There are some problems regarding international uh, waters. You said that, uh, for example, we consider Crimea as a part of a Russian Federation. United States does not recognize mm-hmm. this status. And of course it's contradiction, but does it mean that it's necessary to provoke Russian Navy or Russian Air Force on this issue? We have to be very cautious regarding our actions. We must very be cautious,
1: cautious, okay? I will do the rest of my report here in the, my, uh, my Dracula. Not Count Dracula, but Dracula. All right, uh, that was uh, Anatoly Antonov, uh, ambassador to the United States, uh, Russian ambassador to the United States. He wasn't finished there though. He was uh, speaking with reporters outside the United States State Department, uh, saying that they, be- they believed that the drone was a potential threat. Listen to this.
3: This uh, drone can carry 1,700 kilos of explosives. This drone can carry a few bombs. You see that, what will be reaction of United States if you see such Russian drone very close, for example, to San Francisco or New York? What will be reaction of United States?
1: Okay, yeah. this drone can have many, many guns, many bombs. Just imagine we all lived our lives that way, right? If we were just, you know, walking down the street and, uh, you know, you see somebody, you know, that guy could have like a 9 millimeter in his waistband. Let me shoulder check this guy just in case he has one. Yeah, let me shoot him in the knee just in case. You know, you never know. The guy might be armed. I might as well, you know, try to take the guy out being that we're just walking on the sidewalk here. Uh, that's, in in effect, what he's saying, right? This this could potentially have very big bombs. It's very big. uh, Dasvidaniya. Oh, oh. eh. No, come on. I I don't buy it for a second. Now, listen. Does that mean that we're always uh, the the good guys and everything? Uh, Of course not. You know, maybe we were flying over. But he wasn't saying we were flying in their backyard or we were flying in Russian airspace. It it seemed that we were in uh, international airspace. They didn't dispute that at all, right? It didn't seem like it was disputed. It seemed uh, as if this was... um, You know, just uh, their excuse of trying to to make a a, an excuse to to shoot down uh, a United States plane or drone, if if I can. Uh, Do do we have cut three available? All right. Listen, uh, we're going to go back to Mr. Anatoly, uh, his excellency Anatoly Antonov. Listen to this one.
3: We prefer um, not to create a situation where we can face unintended clashes or unintended incidents between the Russian Federation and the United States
1: is unintended glaciers. Now, he's not saying glaciers or glasses, he's saying clashes. Uh, he doesn't want any unintended confrontation. And I find that one to be interesting, right? What's an unintended confrontation? Now, you shoulder check somebody and then you get in their face and you go, listen, I don't want to be in your face, but I'm in your face. I mean, it just sounds like a uh, very weak and empty rhetoric to me. Kind of like what you get from Joe El Baboso Biden, right? Who uh, I haven't heard him make any comments on this. Um, Nothing meaningful, at least. And um, we'll get into, you know, the the White House response. But I, I want to switch gears a little bit and go to Joe El Baboso Biden and his comments on an interview he did with uh, Kumar. Um, uh, Cal Penn is his real name, but he's uh, Harold and Kumar. Go to White Castle. You know that movie? He's he's Kumar. And uh, the, the the comedian, the actor, he somehow he's like a serious interviewer now. And he did this interview with Joe Biden, and it was uh, an interesting interview. Lots of funny clips came out of that one, and we've got one here. It's clip number six for us. Biden was on The Daily Show with him, and uh, Biden gives him this this response to saying what's going on in Florida with regarding, you know, protecting children against any type of— Permanent genital disfigurement or surgery that would prevent them, you know, sex change operations, you know, while they're still minors. Um, He's saying this is close to sinful, allowing kids to be what they were born to be. Listen to this.
4: Transgender kids is a really harder thing. What's going on in Florida is, as my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. It's not like, you know, a kid wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decided I want to become a man or I want to become a woman or I want to change. I mean, what, what, what are they thinking about here? They're human beings. They love, they have feelings, they have inclinations that are, I mean, it, it just to me is, I don't know, it, it's cruel. And the way we do it is we make sure we pass legislation like we passed on same-sex marriage. You mess with that, you're breaking the law, and
1: you're going to be held accountable. And I'm not joking. I'm not joking. You know the thing, man. Listen, I think, you know, sometimes he'd be better off if he just was just honest and just said, look, I support this stuff. I think they have a right. But he has to go down this road. It's close to sinful, man. You know, you know the thing. And he just gets so carried away with it as if there's no possible difference of opinion that could arise from this. Right. I mean, it's just is it me or, you know, maybe I'm just uh, sour on Biden or as like some of my critics like to say, I'm just uh, the biggest phony in radio that's always carrying the water for Trump and the GOP. All right. If you say so. But I will say this. I think Joe Biden is full of it. And I think his policies on allowing children to to have more rights than their parents have over their lives Uh, is crazy. And that, to me, is sinful. And we'll get into that straight ahead. Plus, we're going to talk about uh, inflation. We're going to talk about uh, all of the economic news that's coming out of Washington with our buddy Steve Moore. He's coming up next. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Tonight with Rich Valdez.
4: We must reduce the risk of this happening again. During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Unfortunately, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses.
1: Well, that is Joe El Baboso Biden, the president of the United States, talking about the uh, Signature Bank and the Silicon Valley Bank and uh, their excellent expertise in running a fantastic operation. And it it just... uh, it's, it's a bailout. It's not a bailout. Everybody's got questions. Steve Moore's got the answers. Former uh, White House economic advisor, Steve Moore. Welcome to the program, sir. Hi, great to be with you, Rich. Yes, sir. So t- give me your take on this. Is this a watered down version of 2008, as some are suggesting, or is it uh, just being responsible?
5: Well, uh, look, I don't think this is a 2008 situation when we had a massive collapse in the banking sector and the mortgage sector, which just steamrolled the economy for one of the worst recessions we've ever had in the history of the country. We're not we're not facing that. Um, yeah. So, uh, by the way, for people who have deposits in banks, unless you're really super rich and you have more than $250,000 in an account, your uh, your deposit accounts are... Assured by the federal government so uh, people shouldn't uh, look I mean is there some risk here certainly there is you know and there are we saw what happened with Silicon uh, Valley Bank um, which was one of the biggest banks and now it's uh, in receivership so that's an ugly story Um, and I think you could see rich uh, maybe a dozen or so um, smaller banks suffering from the same kind of mistakes in terms of their um, investment strategies. But, no, I don't expect this to be um, a kind of crisis, certainly not a 1929 or or 2008 kind of crisis. But I want people to understand two things. Number one, this had nothing to do with what Donald Trump did in terms of, quote, deregulation. There's no industry in America that is more regulated than the banking industry. That's number one. Number two, for Joe Biden to say this isn't the bailout is crazy. Of course it's a bailout. Of course it is. Of course, we're bailing out these investors. And number three, there's a third point I want to make. It is flatly untrue to say that taxpayers aren't going to, I think I forget how we put it. He said something like taxpayers aren't on the hook for any of this. That's completely wrong. <laughs> you know, where's the money going to come from? <laughs> right. for the, As if the government produces you know, money. Exactly. And so uh, that's, I think where we are at right now. And the genesis of the problem with some of these banks, and this is where I fear, you know, sometime in the future, you know, a potential real financial crisis is the massive multi-trillions of dollars of spending and borrowing that happened first during COVID. And then Biden came in when COVID was over it and spent another six trillion dollars. And that was an outrageous financial catastrophe for the country. And at some point, I do think the chickens are going to come to home to roost. We can't keep borrowing rich $2 trillion a year and think that that story has a happy ending.
1: Yeah, listen, I'm with you on that one. Uh, I I support a smaller government and and, and a weaker government and one that doesn't spend our money as much and doesn't tax us as much. Uh, But I'm I'm curious to know your thought, because, again, I'm of two minds. I remember uh, George W. Bush having to bail out AIG, or not having to, choosing to. And and I yeah, thought to myself don't then. Don't use the right?
5: word having to. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. And I remember at the time. I guess I was maybe thirty years old, um, okay. or something like that. Thirty-one, maybe twenty-nine, even. But uh, you know, <laughs> I'm a, a young guy. I'm married. I have two small kids, um, both under ten at the time. And and I remember saying to myself, "That's funny, because if I run out of money, nobody's bailing me out. So right. I don't understand, like, w- why." this entire industry can't go down, and then you know, this idea of too big to fail. And I thought maybe it's my own naivete, maybe not. <laughs> but I, I just kept thinking, I remember my dad telling me and watching the Honeymooners and seeing this guy that would deliver ice, right, to to put in an ice box. And then they created refrigeration, and that ice guy, that ice delivery service, that whole industry disappeared. It just isn't a thing anymore, or at least it's not the same as it was because we have this this new way of keeping meat cold. Yeah. And and, yeah. and I thought they, they all reinvented themselves and found new jobs while their industry collapsed because of technological advances. So, uh-huh. you know, were we going to continue without AIG? Somebody else would have filled that void. Am I wrong right. in thinking that way?
5: Well, it's funny you mentioned the Honeymooners. That's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. <laughs> Jackie Gleason and uh, classic. Uh, Ed Norton. Uh, so it was a classic. And by the way, if people haven't seen all the Honeymooners, it's, you got to watch them. I mean, you can skip those up. Uh, on uh, uh, some of these channels is it's really funny. Uh, Second of all, I'm old enough. See, I'm a little older than you. I remember the milkman. I bet you don't remember when they had had a milkman who came (laughs) in. I've never seen that in my life. It's just a (laughs) funny joke about if the kid doesn't look like you. (laughs) Yeah. And so times have changed a lot. Um, I am uh, almost, it's almost in my DNA that I am against bailouts. I'm always against bailouts because all you're doing when you bail out is you're bailing out a bad actor. And I'm an economist, and there's a concept I know that a lot of your listeners are familiar with, and it's a, a concept called moral hazard. And what a moral hazard is, is when you, you when you do something, you engage in a behavior to try to change someone's behavior, but you're actually facilitating it. So let me give you just a quick example. If my mom, I mean, my mom used to take out the, uh, you know, she used to spank us all the time. If If she said, you know, if you don't, you know, uh, empty the dishwasher. You're going to get a spanking. And then I don't, uh, you know, I don't, um, I don't, uh, wash, uh, I don't, um, empty the dishwasher. And then she doesn't spank me. And then the next night she says, if you don't empty the dishwasher, I'm going to spank you. But, but I don't empty the dishwasher. She doesn't spank me. That's not going to change my behavior. Right. But and, right. and if you reward somebody for bad behavior, you're going to get more bad behavior. So that's what a moral hazard is. And we're by bail, bailing out companies that made bad decisions, I think you're going to get more bad decisions, <laughs> That's, you know? So I, I think it's always a bad idea for the government to do that. And I don't think the government even has the constitutional right to do that. Where does it say in the constitution? The government has the right to bail out of business and, and when are they going to come and bail me out? You know, I've lost right. money.
1: And that's my point. I mean, there's so many mom and pops that were connected to Lehman right. Brothers and this and that. and You just name it. doesn't end anywhere. So I, I think to myself, you know, I buy my coffee and people are probably sick of me hearing this, but I go to a Cuban guy who came from Havana, Cuba on the back of a jet ski for on a five hour ride, landed in, in the Florida Keys, became a U.S. citizen and has a coffee shop in Jersey. And uh-huh. he's got a lot of stories. And when I go get coffee there every day, all he does is complain. He goes, you know, I'm not really a Republican, but You know, you guys seem to be better on taxes. (laughs) And he just complains about how much he pays and how he doesn't want, he feels, he goes, I feel like I'm in business with the government. Like they're a partner because they're getting that much money. And, and that's a really unfortunate thing to think that this is America. This is where we built everything from the bottom up. And um, now today you've got people complaining to just stay in business and all because the government's gotten so greedy. And I think this is a a bad move. And yet who is going to bail out the little guy?
5: Yeah. Well, Rich, we have a uh, a kind of uh, evil um, kind of um, partnership now between big government and big business in America. And, you know, when are you and I going to be too big to fail? Right. I mean, they're not going to they're not going to bail out Joe's hardware store, but they'll bail out Walmart or, you know, they won't bail out the small banks. By the way, the small banks are the ones that are really hurting right now. But if if something, God forbid, happens to Bank of America, you know, they're going to sell Give them a safety net, and so I, I'm a count. To, count me as opposed to these policies. You know, I believe in free market capitalism. If you're going to bail out losers, everybody's going to go to the uh, roulette wheel and, and put their money on the roulette. Because if you win, you get to keep the money. If you lose, the government's going to bail you out.
1: Hundred percent, Steve Moore. Stick with us. I want to get your take on the CPI numbers and the up but downtrend of inflation. More to come straight ahead. Your calls as well. Eight three three. Four Valdez is the phone number. That's Valdez with an S, by the way. 833-482-5337. We're on with Steve Moore, and we're coming right back.
6: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window.
1: America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with Steve Moore. He's the head of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Steve Moore was a White House economic advisor, uh, both to Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump, and uh, all around great guy. Knows a lot of stuff. He actually used to do a radio show on the weekends. I think he still does back when I was at WABC. Yeah. Do you still do that show, Steve Moore? I do. It's called More Money on WABC More money. Radio. I have so much fun with it.
5: And I love it because you know why? I love to hear. I love my favorite part of that show, Rich, I wonder if you can probably relate to this is just listening to what people have to say, you know, oh, uh, people always wondered why it is that, um, Rush Limbaugh, who I just adored, you know, knew so much more about what it was happening with our society and politics and elections than in just about anybody else. And I, and my conjecture is that because he talked to real people every day.
1: Oh, without a doubt. That is one of the coolest things, and something that Larry King fostered here and Jim Bohannon held on to for his yeah. three decades after King was that open phone America in the third hour of this program. Yeah. And honestly, it's. You know, don't tell my bosses, but that's why I come every day. I show up I for open I phone America I, as much as I like Steve Moore, right? I just, I, there's, <laughs> I, I, lo- I really do. I love the expertise. It's great getting, you know, yep. difficult to get guests sometimes that really have expertise in these areas because the audience really appreciates it. And I enjoy the conversation, but there's nothing mm-hmm. like talking to somebody in, I don't know, Kentucky that's and right. then somebody in New York and then somewhere else and getting all of these different ideas and thinking, man, that's really what's going on because, you know, everybody else, uh. They they have their version of the story, and when you get the version that's on the street, it always gives you, I think, that much more insight well, into what's going on.
5: Rich, that's why I knew when everybody—remember, 90% of the political say, oh, Donald Trump, he's never going to beat Hillary Clinton. You know, it's impossible. <laughs> right. And, I, you know, I, I thought— Well, wait a minute. I'm going out on the road with Donald Trump and I'm seeing uh, 30,000 people showing up from something's going on in America that nobody in Washington could understand. So anyway, I, I enjoy it. I think talk radio is a great, great way to communicate. And thank you for having me on your show.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. It really is. And, and it's funny, I, I, you were, you know, I was tossing it up between you and John Katsimatidis, because in the next segment, I want to talk about this drilling in Alaska that Biden okayed. Okay. And we'll get to that in a moment. But let's talk about the CPI numbers and this game that they play, this wordsmithing that they do. I mean, I'm not paying any less for anything. I mean, gas has gone down a little bit. So maybe let's talk about why gas is going down. But yet eggs are still a fortune.
7: Uh, so,
5: you know, it's interesting because the official inflation rate that came out today was 6%, which is still four times higher. (laughs) you know, this, it was four times higher Mm -hmm. or three times higher than it was three to four times higher than it was when Trump left office. It was 1.4%. Now it's six and the the inflation target where we want to be is somewhere around 2%. And so we're way, way above where we need to be. Now that's point. Number one point, number two, you know, when I go on shows like yours or I do Fox News and I say, you know, the official inflation rate is 6.5 or whatever it is, people come up from the street and they'll get angry at me and they say, Steve, why do you keep saying inflation is only 6.5 percent? I said, well, that's the official number. And people say, well, that's not what I'm paying. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, yeah. I, I'm in Florida. <laughs> what right I would now. give to
1: pay 6% on things right now.
5: I know, exactly. I mean, I'm in Florida right now. We're on a spring break uh, with, with my uh, family. And, I mean, my God, but the airline tickets were incredibly expensive. The hotels were expensive. The rental car was expensive. The food that we're eating at the restaurants is expensive or just to go to a fast food place. I'm like, this isn't 6% inflation. This is 20% inflation.
1: Right. And 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 it's kind of crazy to me. And I know that, you know, the White House continually touts saying, you know, it keeps going down. It keeps going down. We're like eighth straight, eighth straight month of, of declines in inflation. Uh, which you know may in fact be true on a percentage basis, but in terms of, you know, just year over year comparisons, we're really not in good shape. No. So here's the here's a number that
5: people that uh, might be surprised by. And these are the official numbers, which I as I you and I've been discussing, I think are probably understated. Yeah, computer costs are less, but not, you know, the stuff you have to buy like food and rent and groceries and, and gasoline. And so since Biden came into office, which has been a little over two years, prices are up about 15%. That's a lot. That means, now, how many of you got a 15% pay raise? Uh, I didn't. <laughs> and right. most Americans didn't. And so we estimate, um, I do some work with the Heritage Foundation, they estimate that the average family's lost about three or $4,000 in purchasing power. That is, wages not growing as fast as inflation. And that means, you know, virtually every month that Biden has been in office, he is making the middle class rich poorer. He's making
1: them poor. This is this is problematic because this is the critique I, I think so many people give on on just government policy as a whole for the last, I don't know, half century that it's made the middle class poorer. And you know, I think so many people were attached to the American dream that if I could just get become a part of the middle class. I could have one job, my wife may not have to work, I could put my kids through college. That that's that's been a farce for a very long time and obviously I don't think it's ever coming back, but it 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 seems like people are becoming disenchanted with the American dream because of the interference that we have from the government.
5: Well, yeah, I'm going to correct you though on one thing because I feel Please. strongly about this and they, that is uh, under Donald Trump, the middle class did not go poor. <laughs> that's know, true. We it a grew right? $6,500 $6, extra
1: yeah. per family. Yeah,
5: <laughs> that's right. And so that trend that you were talking about reversed course under Trump. Under Trump. And so we saw a big boost. Yeah, I think you're right. About $6,500 per family in, in the first three years of Trump's presidency. And then, of course, COVID hit. So, you know, that changed the whole body. Bu- Don't you love, by the way, Biden keeps saying, oh, I took over and it was a disaster. Right. and on. It's like, No. The economy was actually under a six-month recovery from COVID under Trump when Biden came into office. So don't believe it was, Oh, everything was a chaos and blah blah blah. We, I, I do believe, and I'm biased because I work for Trump. I helped him on his tax policies, and he, I believe that he really did put America first in every decision he made. And I'm not saying every decision he made was the best decision, but I think his, he really did believe that the most important thing is to put America first. And mm-hmm. I'm not so sure if this president always does that. But my point is, I believe that if Trump were still president today, this U.S. economy would absolutely be booming.
1: Yeah, I agree as well. And I think it, it was booming in so many ways. That's why we saw that uh, median household income go up. And, and even, even like you said, the trend was reversed. Uh, another interesting uh, factoid there was that not only was it reversed, but it also was a, a way bigger percentage increase than we'd ever seen, right? Some people, you know, when yeah. they talk about that, it's a couple of bucks. $6,500 is yeah. a lot of money.
5: Huge amount. And the, you know what groups did the best? Minorities, blacks and Hispanics. Now, there's nothing more offensive to me or President Trump. You know, and I know he was offended by this when they said, oh, you know, he's a racist. Racist? There's no yeah. present amount of modern time to get more <laughs> benefit to the economic benefit of blacks and Hispanics than Donald Trump did. The gains that you mentioned in percentage terms were even higher for minorities and for, uh, you know, people of color. I mean, no question about it. So, you know, those policies work. This I I pray that we can get through this next year and a half with Biden in the office. The other thing, you know, I did this study for our committee on demolish prosperity. None of the people in the Biden administration, with a few exceptions, most of them have no business experience, none. And I don't mean starting a business, Rich. Most of them have never even worked for a business. You know, the people like Pete Buttigieg <laughs> and the energy secretary and the people in the white house, they don't know anything about business. So how would we, in other words, they wouldn't even know how to run a lemonade stand. and They're trying to tell business how to run their business.
1: You know, I, I had a conversation about that today about Biden saying, you know, the guy has no real world experience outside of politics. And their, their response right. was what you don't think being an elected official is a real job. I said, all right, I got to go now. <laughs> yeah, I got to like, go. I mean, look, uh, they're good at, mm-hmm.
5: they are good at politics. They just don't know anything about how to run an economy.
1: Yeah, he could squint and smile his way out of things like the best of them. Uh, we're going to continue with Steve Moore. Don't go anywhere. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 4 valdez Don't move a muscle.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at
1: Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We've got calls from Ohio, from Missouri, and more coming in. The phone number, eight three three four 4 valdez with an S. Our guest is Steve Moore from the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And let's go to John in Elyria, Ohio, WNIR. Go right ahead, John. You're on with Steve Moore and Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, how you doing? Wonderful, I would thanks. like to make um,
8: I would like to make five points. One of them is purely my opinion.
1: Well just and pick the top two because we won't have time for five. Only two? Maybe even one.
5: Um I'll make two quick. We were rapidly approaching full un- full employment even before the election of twenty sixteen. As and also as you approach full employment employers are more heavily pressured to raise wages. So those are two major contributing
1: factors to the gains right. that occurred under Trump. Let's uh, allow Steve Moore to respond. Steve Moore, go right ahead.
5: Um, the economy was a disaster, unfortunately, the years that Obama was president. Um, it was a great thing we had our first black president and you know he's a charismatic leader, but his economic policies were almost a complete failure, uh, especially his first term in office. And, it was a miracle that he got reelected, given how bad the economy. We we just had no recovery really under uh, Biden. And only one out of three Americans throughout by uh, Obama's entire presidency rated the economy as good or great. When president When President Trump was president, two out of three Americans rated the economy as good or
1: great. All right, thank you, John. We appreciate that. Now, Steve Moore, I want to uh, pivot to this story about Biden kind of uh, changing course. With respect uh, to uh, drilling in Alaska or at least energy production in Alaska uh, is where is this coming from?
5: Well first of all, don't don't buy the media uh, buzz here I mean he is allowing some drilling in Alaska but my God he took tens of thousands of acres right. offline you know so this idea that somehow oh he's pro-oil d- drilling don't, don't buy that rich for right, I'm thinking minute. he's just
1: trying to avoid a lawsuit.
5: <laughs> well, maybe, and but I think he's starting to see Americans support American energy. And I have to say, of all Biden's bad policies, you know, when we were with Trump, I'll tell you, my first meeting with Trump when we first met in uh, late 2015, and you know, he's asking all sorts of questions about the economy, and I and and I told him, I said, Mr. President, if you pursue an America first energy policy, my God, I said, in four years we could be energy independent, and I'll never forget. Rich, he kind of wagged his finger at me and. He said, Steve, I don't want America to be energy independent. I want America to be energy dominant. And we were energy dominant. When Trump left office, Rich, we were the number one producer of yeah. oil, gas, and coal in the world. It would have never happened in 50 years. And then Biden comes in and he shuts it down. It was crazy. Why would you do that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this is part of the the arguments that we hear. I've met people when I give them that factoid, and then they're like, uh, no, he didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. Yeah, we were producing. <laughs> We would be producing, with Trump's policy still in place, mm-hmm. we'd be producing about 4
5: million barrels more a day in oil production. We would, By the way, Rich, think about this. How many times did we talk about OPEC when, when Trump was president? Mm-hmm. Never. Yeah. Right? Because we broke the back of OPEC because we produced so much more oil. We have played into the hands. This is one of my frustrations. Biden's energy policy saying we're going to do all green energy, windmills, and solar power. You know who benefited from that? Oh, let's see, China, Iran, Russia, OPEC countries. We've played right into the hands of
8: our enemies. Yeah.
1: So you think this is just window dressing, this approval for the, um, the Willow Oil Project, and we, 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 should we not expect more? I mean, that, you know, I, I'm an optimist, so I'm thinking, wow, maybe he's you know, changing. So. Maybe he wants to get reelected. So he's, you know, you know trying to play yeah. both sides of the fence.
5: Yeah, what I'm saying though is just you know a few energy projects is better than none. But what I'm of saying course. we should. By the way, Alaska is like the amount of they want of drilling that they want to do in Alaska is like a is taking like a, a postage stamp on a football field, and and they oh no that's going to despoil the environment up there where no man ever goes. You ever been up to the North Slope, <laughs> Rich? I mean, there's nothing up there. It's barren. Yeah. The only thing they have there is a couple of oil drills, and somehow that's going to destroy the environment. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I haven't taken that really cool Alaskan cruise, although I've heard it's fantastic and the sights are amazing. And uh, I don't know what I'm missing, so it's on my bucket list. But let us— okay, uh, well, I,
5: I've done it. I did it last year. I recommend did it. You? But these oil fields are way, way, way to the north of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, before we go, Steve Moore, I, w- I want you to let everybody know how they can keep up to speed with everything that you're doing, all the work you're doing, how they could follow you, all of that.
5: Well, Rich, I hope you're getting our uh, daily hotline. Cause if you're not, please sign up. Oh yeah, it. no, I do. Just I get co- it every day. Yeah. Oh, good. Fantastic. Well, you can get this for free folks. How about that? How about that for inflation? Zero yeah. cost nothing. <laughs> just go to committee to unleash prosperity and, and, uh, that just uh, send us your email. We'll send this to you free five mornings a week. And if you read it, you'll be the smartest person in the room.
1: Outstanding. And if you're in the New York area, check out Steve Moore's show on uh, the weekends, more money. It's a great show. And I highly recommend it. Steve Moore, thank you so much for being with us. Good luck to, with everything you're doing with the Committee to Unleash Prosperity and all the rest of your projects. Okay, Rich. Have a great night. Thanks for having me. You too. Talk soon. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more, eight three three four 4 valdez Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time.
0: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Let's go to Dexter in Camdenton, Missouri. KRMS, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
8: Hey, thank you very much. Hey, listen, um, the, the one thing I, I, I was listening to your buddy Steve Moore talk a little bit ago. Yeah. And, and the one thing somebody taught me years ago, when I, I, have owned six bars and restaurants, uh, I've had a couple other businesses in my life, but the thing is, is that you, the one thing he taught me is you promote what you permit. And it seems like this <laughs> administration is just absolutely crazy. And Dump. for that, I just wanted to share that with you. Um, I, I used to do a radio show back in Lowell, Massachusetts years ago, mm. I love talk radio and I, Rich, I think you're doing a great job. Uh, Kimbo Hannon was a good guy. Um, Couldn't, couldn't follow him all the time, but for you, for some reason with you, I can, I can latch on. So thank you. Thank
1: you. That's incredibly kind of you. I thank you. Don't use the S word on the radio, please. (laughs) But I do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, There's just a lot of um, policies that are just so backward in their thinking that it makes you wonder, what the heck is going on here? And and this is the problem. And you're right. You promote what you permit. And uh, it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with uh, you got to inspect what you expect, right? You can't just imagine that things are just going to happen the way they're supposed to. And this, this uh, the idea here is accountability. And it seems like there is none with this government. And it's it's very unfortunate. And, and I hope that with the good comes the bad, right? Or with the bad comes the good. And with policies that are, that are, you know, harmful to employment, you know, job killing policies, this job killing recession that we have to have in order to, uh, to level out inflation. With all of this, I, my hope is that more people will wake up and say, wow, this was a very bad idea. And no, we can't give him a second chance because these policies were just too, too drastic. And it really hurt Americans where, where, where it hurts, right? In their pocketbooks. And this isn't where we want to be. And again, uh, Dexter, I want to thank you for your kind words and for listening to the show. I really do appreciate it. And uh, it's you, not only the listeners, but the callers and everybody that's participating, the guests. This is what makes the show. So uh, I'm grateful for that. And, uh, and I'm grateful for everybody that realizes that, you know what? Biden's not all he was cracked up to be, right? A lot of people are really interested, give him a chance. Like I was never on that bandwagon, but I know there were people that were. And they were really, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Altruistic, right? They were altruistic, and they were like, you know, we got to really give them a chance. And uh, I'm all about giving a chance unless, you know, you're giving a chance that is going to rip everybody off. And we got to be forgiving. You know, I, 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 I believe in forgiveness, uh, but I also believe in accountability. And speaking of forgiveness— Um, We're going to have a discussion on forgiveness, switching gears a little bit to get off of all of this uh, heavy inflation talk. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about why people find it so hard to forgive. And is there a scientific explanation to being unforgiving? Is it influenced by our brain chemistry or is it just us being, um, I don't know, just tough, tough to deal with? Who knows? Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. Scheduled to be with us is uh, David Peterson, the Reverend David Peterson. And we're going to discuss that. Plus your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Give us a call. Looking forward to your conversation as well. Don't move a muscle. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and we're coming
2: right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about...
1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and happy to be here with you, keeping you company till 1 a.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Pacific Time, uh, straight across the country, this beautiful fruited plain from New York City all the way to Alaska. I'm back again with your calls, 833-482-5337, 833, the number 4, and my last name, Valdez, and that's Valdez with an S. You could also get us on all of the social media, at RichValdez with an S, and a quick uh plug for the podcast of both this program and my uh, existing podcast This Is America. This Is America was on a brief hiatus because we were figuring out some production stuff, but this week there will be a brand new episode and we're going to focus on Alexander Solzhenitsyn. So um, if you love him, great. Check that out. If you don't know him, great. Check it out. You're going to learn a lot. And that's This Is America with Rich Valdez. Make sure you subscribe to that wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, if you missed any of the interviews that we did on this program this week or any other week, you can go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com and subscribe to the podcast for this program so you could listen to it anytime you like. I know some people listen live. Some people listen to part of the show live, and then they get to work, and they listen to the other part on podcast. Uh, however you listen, I'm grateful that you're listening, and you can always go to richvaldesamericaatnight.com to stream the show live, no matter where you are, in the United States or not. And, you know, a couple of headlines that we talked about earlier, I just want to reiterate that there was a Russian fighter jet that uh, kind of clipped our... United States Air Force MQ-9 Reaper drone. This happened over the Black Sea, and it caused it to crash. Uh, we we heard some commentary from uh, the uh, general representing the Pentagon as their spokesperson, and we have heard from, from the, the Russians as well. They gave their commentary, <laughs> and uh, we'll get into that a little bit at the top of uh, the next hour. Uh, but that was a little bit of what was going on there, of course. um we also have our guest and uh, and this is a topic that I thought we need to talk about this because you know on a program like ours, we talk about pop culture, we talk about entertainment, we talk about politics, the news of the day, and sometimes these topics are very emotional sometimes they're you know they, they get your blood boiling and you feel so so adamant about one position versus another and and this uh, I'm guilty as charged and and I, I feel like you know one of the things that I like to preach is we just because we disagree doesn't mean we have to hate, right? And I think that's that's a real thing that I really try to to stick with. You know, over the weekend, I was with some family members, and um, I don't think a single one of them, you know, agreed with my ideological perspectives, my worldview, my politics, any of that. But they were polite, and they had a lot of questions, but they were polite. and And I thought, you know, that's how it's got to be. It's got to be one of those situations where people say things that um, you don't agree with and you just move on because we have to be forgiving towards one another and we can't uh, hold a grudge and we've just got to learn how to get along with one another, in my opinion. And, and that's why I wanted to speak with uh, David Peterson. He's a minister and he's the author of the book journey to forgiveness, 21 milestones to freedom,
7: sir. Welcome to the program. Rich. Thanks so much for having me along for the ride.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I really do. Thank you. And, uh, you know, like I was sharing a moment ago, um, you know, you're the de facto expert for the next uh, uh, little bit because, you know, you've written the book on this. And if you want to get the book, by the way, folks, if you're listening and you uh, want to get the book, it's Journey to Forgiveness, 21 Milestones to Freedom. You could get on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And I always recommend buy two. Get one for yourself. Get one to give away. And something I look, I'm looking at, you know, the information on the book, and it says, you know, from medical journals to the Bible, we're told to forgive as if it were easy. And, you know, the medical journal part, um, we see a lot of that lately. Yeah, there was a Wuhan lab leak. There wasn't a lab leak. It was from bat soup in the wet market. It wasn't. It was this. It was that. And people get so uh, hot about that, and understandably so. But ultimately, I believe that it does come down to a position of forgiveness. And the reason I think forgiveness is important is because so many people call and they say, when are these people going to jail? They should hang from nooses. And I'm thinking, all right, I don't know if we're being too forgiving. Uh, But the other side of that coin is maybe we're being, uh, you know, trying to hold people accountable, but maybe going a little too far. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, I think forgiveness is an area that we should have a discussion about. And I think your book lays it out well. Tell us a little bit about it. Well.
7: Um again, thanks for having me on. I appreciate all that you do. You know, we hear from pastors and other well meaning people, you know, well, you just have to forgive. And the real question it comes down to is, well, how do we forgive? Yeah, easier and said than done. Getting, yeah, right. So getting to the how. Um and this This book came out of my own life journey of uh, learning to forgive, Um, comes out of my own stories of, uh, you know, folks that have hurt me or wronged me, but then I, you know, managed to find some ways that i found helpful. And then along the way, I was able to discover some really interesting things um, scientifically, not only why forgiving is healthier for us um, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, but that there's brain chemistry involved as well that uh, participates in the healing process and either um, propels us toward um, more bitterness and ruminating or can actually move us toward um, finding healthiness in forgiveness. The question is, where do you want to be? And what kind of life do you want to live? Right? Yeah. So,
1: and I agree. I agree. And I think most people in their right mind say, look, I just, I want to go along to get along. I just, I really, I want the best for the situation. But then there's some people that say, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. Let it all burn. I'm going to hate this person. And, and whether they want to or not, like it might be, a uh, involuntary thing. It could be voluntary or it just could be, I want to forgive them, but I just hate them so much. What's your advice
7: to someone in that situation? You know, um, looking at my own situation, um, there was a time in my life I was, you know, ordained, I was married and had kids and, uh, you know, I'd even been through counseling and things to help with the, with the, uh, um, addressing uh, painful things in my life, and yet it was around 35 years old. I came to realize that I still had this constant anger. That and it was a an anger, and it was it was really like a nuclear power plant that was just hmm. burning more. And Who were you angry realize, at, and why? Well. Uh, <laughs> You know a number of different things. Uh, you know, I was born with a, a neurological condition called essential tremor, and I had had that all my life. And when I was a kid, growing up with that, folks are a lot less than understanding. And I, at times, found myself at the center of you know bullies and even public school teachers. that gave me a hard time about it. You know, we didn't know that much about it at the time. Oh, wow. But then, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, when I was 11 or 12, um, I was targeted by a neighborhood pedophile and yeah, right. What does that
1: mean though? Does that mean this guy was like looking at you? Does it mean he tried to lure you? Did he actually lure
7: you? Like what's the extent? He was, he was grooming and he actually sexually abused me, but it wasn't just sexually. It was physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And he utilized, uh, he used alcohol, pornography, and affirmation at a particular time in my life when I was very, very vulnerable. And
1: and And, in reality, uh, not to cut you off, but this is what predators do. They look for someone where they think they can have an in. And you know, if you had a noticeable tremor, they said, oh, maybe this kid has been bullied. Maybe if I tell him he's okay and he's this and he's that and give him a few drinks. I can get them to do whatever I want. And this is how they, they attack. Well, um,
7: it, this went on for, you know, about seven or eight months and I kept that in silence. Um, from the time I was 12 until I was 19. And it was at that point that I, you know, started on a journey. I, um, I shared what had happened with my parents and they were devastated um, uh, but I did make it, you know, for counseling and that was all a part of, you know, going into a much more positive tra- trajectory because up until that point, um, I, I really had some, you know, very self-defeating, um, patterns of behavior and, and, uh, it, it was just a very difficult, dark time, but like I said, um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was
1: just going to say the, these self-defeating patterns of behavior, uh, is that, uh, similar to self-destructive coping mechanisms?
7: Oh, absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. And you're just trying to make it and trying to make sense of what's happened. You're dealing with a lot of shame. And by the way, I need to really, you know, put this out to your, your audience, the statistics say one in six men experienced sexual abuse as a child. And so there's a and that chances are that's underreported. And the statistics also say one in four uh, women were sexually abused as children. And so, you know, I'm real, I'm really an advocate for getting the right information out there. Um, This really is a, a big deal. And, you know, broken and hurting people um, need to experience wholeness and and uh, you know the comfort that we can have um, for 100%. the sake of health I mean it's like healthy relationships right. and well, so uh, from what you're describing, it sounds
1: like it's just healthy existence, you know, when you yeah. have to get past this abuse, this trauma, uh, and forgiveness is, is the antidote, if you will, to get to that future happiness, that future place of peace, and at least that's what I'm gathering from what you're saying, and, and I want to continue down that road because uh, I appreciate your, your candor and your honesty and your courage in telling us what happened. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we had a show the other night where a lot of people called in and it, it was about family secrets, and a lot of people started talking about how they were sexually assaulted as kids. It's, that seemed to be the number one family secret in America, which I had no clue everybody went through that or a lot of people went through. So you're right. I think it's underreported. And I want to continue with that straight ahead. I just want to give out the phone number and pause really quickly. Eight three three four valdez is the phone number. Our guest is uh, the author of the book, Journey to Forgiveness, 21 Milestones to Freedom, Reverend David Peterson. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We continue our conversation with our guest, uh, Reverend David Peterson. He's the author of Journey to Forgiveness, 21 Milestones to Freedom. He's uh, walking us through his journey where he was diagnosed with an essential tremor as a boy and then went on to be uh, sexually abused by a predator, a pedophile uh, in his neighborhood uh, after that. And um, and had to deal with that, and had to deal with forgiveness, Reverend. Yeah, go right ahead.
7: <laughs> Thank you. And I, I think uh, you know, realizing that I was hooked on the anger and the bitterness was like a junkie. <laughs> and you know, yeah. what's the first step is realizing you have you have you know you're powerless, and you need a higher power and my power, you know, that I found comfort in was my faith in Jesus Christ, and um, I needed to go, and I needed, you know, God to show me ways to heal, and it started with um, a few ways that my pastor um, had utilized in his ministry, and uh, and then over time, um, you know, I realized, you know, as soon as my feet hit the floor, I was going to be faced with decisions of, am I going to hold bitterness and anger? How do I own that? And how do I go forward? And so that started me really in the process of saying, what works for me? And what I've written and, you know, the 21 Milestones to Freedom, you know, if they they aren't kind of like well start here and then go to here and then go to here, you know, like steps along a path. Um you know try something. If that doesn't work, try something else. But these are just some ways that I've found helpful
1: and in the in the couple of minutes that we have remaining, uh tell us a little bit about these um the, I guess, these concrete truths that you you learned along the way, um, you know, give us a couple of the milestones.
7: Okay, so our ability to ruminate is second to none, but it's possible that there's something in that memory that God wants us to walk through with Him, and He didn't intend for us to go through it by ourselves. And so if this memory keeps coming back and, you know, perhaps it's, you know, post-traumatic stress, um, ask God, where were you, what were you doing when that happened? What is it you want me to know about that? And then just have some time to meditate and pray and see if, if something, you know, comes to mind. Another one is, uh, uh the third milestone and it's, uh, a bold declaration uh i release you from my wrath i don't know about you but i as i start to think about things it work you know it can work me up. but when somebody who's wronged me comes to mind i will <laughs> say out loud with with my voice so i can hear it with my ears and digest it into my my soul and my spirit i will i will say i release you from my wrath i don't care who's around here's whatever You know, it's a bold declaration to say, I release you from my wrath. And Forgiveness is something that we do for ourselves, you know, so we can get selfish about it. You know, um, you know, another thing is writing lists. Um, I sat down one, one day and I was like, okay, I'm going to write a list. Those who, you know, have hurt me. And, I did that and there was like maybe three or five people over the course of my life, you know, and then I was, then I said, I'm going to write a list now of those people who have brought genuine healing and wholeness to my life or been positive influences that helped me on a positive trajectory. And oh my goodness, that list so outnumbered. The number of folks that, you know, hadn't had brought pain into my life. And it's funny how we always manage to focus on the minority that bring us the pain and the, and the hurt.
1: Right. Instead and of the majority that bring us joy it, and happiness right, and peace. Right. Good point. Folks, the book is Journey to Forgiveness, 21 Milestones to Freedom. The author, the Reverend David Peterson, Sir, I thank you for being with us and opening up and sharing with us. Uh, What's the website for the book?
7: DavidPetersonBooks.com. All right. Well, thank you again.
1: You're welcome. It's my pleasure to have you, folks. More to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about brain injuries with cops. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez, our phone number is 833-482-5337, 4 valdez if you want to join this national conversation. And we're going to get into a conversation on brain injuries. Now, brain injuries are something that, believe it or not, I happen to know a little bit about. Uh, Because back in 2007, my dad had fallen down in front of his house and um, fractured his skull. And there was a traumatic brain injury. And to add insult to injury... Um, there was dementia that ensued after that that they call traumatic brain injury-related dementia. And it caused so many problems. I mean, speaking certain words became difficult. All sorts of cognition became difficult. And the hardest part uh, for me at the time was, you know, having little kids and, and trying to care for my dad was becoming an expert in brain injuries overnight because I wasn't one. I didn't know how how intricate it was. And it opened up my eyes to things. And, you know, I have brothers that are um, retired law enforcement, still in law enforcement, and a lot of people in law enforcement in my family. So it was, was, you know, when I saw this topic of law enforcement uh, professionals facing brain injuries and seeing an increase in that, I said, man, we've got to have this conversation. And our guest is Lieutenant Randy Sutton. He's the founder of the Wounded Blue. Uh, Lieutenant, welcome, sir.
6: I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, it really is my pres- uh, pleasure. And March is National Brain Injury Awareness Month. And uh, I figured, why not have this conversation? Because in my opinion, this is it's very important. And if for nothing else, people um, will be better off just knowing the severity uh, and, and the prevalence of how brain injuries work. TBIs are, are a serious thing. So LT, break it down for us. What got you involved in this?
6: Well, you know, um, my organization is the Wounded Blue, and we are the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers, a nationwide charity that uh, helps injured and disabled cops, whether those injuries are physical or psychological and emotional. Now, I can tell you this, that that I'm going to give you a very startling statistic, and that is that last year and the year before that, uh, more than 60,000 American law enforcement officers were injured in the line of duty, physically assaulted in the line of duty. And those, those assaults include being shot, stabbed, beaten, hit with bricks, hit with bottles. And, um, and many of those injuries did in fact result in a traumatic brain injury. You you hit, you hit something when you were introducing the traumatic brain injuries are very, are, are, it's a topic that is very misunderstood and scientifically Mm -hmm. Scientifically it's misunderstood as well, so my organization um, we often deal with officers who have suffered a traumatic brain injury and the way i mean so I've been involved with it since since uh, we created this organization we've, we've we've been operational about four years we've helped more than fourteen thousand police officers and um, wow. uh, but but the traumatic brain injury issue uh, is something that really came. To light um, recently with, uh, with a with a coordinated effort that myself, that the organization, the Wounded Blue, um, and the uh, University of Oregon and and, a, and an amazing coffee company, One Nation Coffee, all teamed up together to bring awareness to this topic and help raise money to uh, to study it. And uh, and I, I met. I mean, I I, I met some fascinating people as we uh, as we engage in this, and uh, it's, a, it's a critical topic and also very, very heartbreaking.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about exactly what you're doing. I know you said you studied it. What's the type of hands-on support that you're providing for families? Because again, I can share from my own experience, this thing was world-changing, right? My dad and my family's Puerto Rican, and my dad was a tough, old-school Puerto Rican guy. <laughs> fists like rocks. And and, and he, he was just a tough guy. And he became a very docile guy after this. I mean, so really? much of what I see, not to get political here, but so much of what I see in Joe Biden, how he just kind of gets lost sometimes and starts stuttering and doing this. So much of that is, it reminds me of what I saw my dad go through. And I thought, wow, this is really serious. There was a lot of memory loss and it's, it's challenging on the family. And you also mentioned there's a lot of people in, 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 uh, clinicians that aren't aware of how TBI's work. And I found that to be true as well. Uh, And I, I found myself asking people, are you familiar with traumatic brain doctors, nurses, you name it other than a a short course in their training, they didn't have a lot of experience with it. And it was, it was a real challenge because it, not a lot of people, even in the medical field, know a ton about it beyond a concussion.
6: And isn't that shocking? I found that shocking. Um, Yeah, it is. shocking uh, Yes. Uh, So, so I've had a lot of interaction with, um, uh, with, with officers who have faced these traumatic brain injuries and virtually every single one of them, it's a different degree of, Mm -hmm. um, of symptoms. And I think that's one of the problems that we, that we've seen is, you know, it's not like you can go in and get a test. You know, we're used to, you know, you get a test and, and it gives you, it gives you the, uh, the results, and with traumatic, traumatic brain injury, it's not, it's not the case. Um, so there's a there's a, a fascinating uh, woman that uh, that I that I've met uh, named Kate Reina. um is the wife of a severely um, injured, traumatically brain injured uh, North Carolina trooper named Umberto Umberto Reyes. Roberto was um, uh, was struck in a in a in his patrol car and suffered a very severe brain injury. It it disabled him. It ruined his it ruined his career. His career was basically they threw him away. Um, I know this is hard to this is hard to, to believe but but many many police departments when a, when a when an officer is severely injured in the line of duty um, they will literally not even acknowledge the injury, and and toss them away and fire them, and that's what happened with with Umberto, and his wife Kay, um, finding out like you did, like you saw, that that what a devastating injury it was. Dedicated her life; she was she was just a she was basically a housewife. Went to school for years, got her doctorate, and as now is working with the University of Oregon. In, in a major study to to uh, to study traumatic brain injuries and also the fam- the caretakers of people with traumatic brain injuries, which I know that you just you just really hit the nail on the head with how with how it affects the entire family and other right. and the loved ones of the people. Yeah, so that's what we're all working together, and One Nation Coffee is is part of this this team. To uh, right now, they are they are donating a portion of their proceeds for every every package of coffee that that, that people purchase at OneNationCoffee dot com. They are actually raising money to give to the Wounded Blue and to the, for the study of traumatic brain injuries.
1: Wow, well, folks, uh, definitely check out this website. Uh, the wounded Our guest is Lieutenant Randy Sutton. We're going to continue our conversation on brain injuries as well as your calls on this topic. 833 4Valdez, 833 482 Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. call now 833-4-VALDEZ that's 833-482-5337 833-4-VALDEZ that's VALDEZ with an S
1: all right America welcome back it's Rich Valdez our guest is Lieutenant Randy Sutton And uh, you got to check out his website. It is thewoundedblue.org. Now, I want to give you a quick stat. Listen to this. Uh, Every year, and including in 2022, 1.9 million people were diagnosed with cancer in the United States. That's according to the National Cancer Institute. Now, listen to this. In 2022... 2.8 million Americans sustained traumatic brain injuries, TBI, and that's according to the Brain Injury Association of America. So that's how prevalent traumatic brain injuries are and how often they happen every year, about a million more than cancer. Yet there's such a level of awareness, and I'm not trying to take away from cancer, Uh, but I am trying to make the point that this is something I think we all need to know about. Right, Lieutenant?
6: hundred percent right. And, and, you know, and most people are unaware that there are so many diverse symptoms and, and, um, uh, things that take place when somebody is, is diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury, or even before they're diagnosed. Um, it leads to suicide. It leads to all kinds of emotional and mental illness as well. Uh, besides the physical aspects, and then of course the physical aspects can be, um, you know, so debilitating that it can destroy lives. So yeah, it, it is it is truly a topic that is is um, something that we need to bring as much attention to it as possible. So I'm glad that this is actually Brain Injury Awareness Month because it gives us the opportunity to have a conversation just like this. And you know, here's the here's the thing. You know, I'm, I've seen so many heartbreaking stories like you related about your dad, and with young men and young women who have been uh, in either either physically assaulted and struck in the head with an object, or you know, a police officer who is, uh, you know, car accidents are a major part of the. The deaths and severe injuries of police officers and very often it is a traumatic brain injury that um that they that they receive because of because of the 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 accidents that they're in and it's it is absolutely heartbreaking to see how many of these men women are misdiagnosed or undiagnosed for sometimes months or even years before a doctor will finally say, yeah, it's a traumatic brain injury. That's what's causing all of these other symptoms. And um, so this, Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that that these studies are just now being done like the University of Oregon is doing is critical um, and can, you know, in the future, I think can not only save lives, but but, um, give families comfort.
1: All right, LT, let everybody know where uh, they could go to support this work if they want to learn more about it if they're considering supporting this work uh what they can do to do their part to help
6: you know and i'm glad you you say that because i fully believe that most men and women in america truly do believe in their law enforcement and want to help and want to want to um, play a role that can be positive in today's you know anti-law enforcement world so Our organization is The Wounded Blue, and you can find us at thewoundedblue.org. It is a nationwide charity. Um, It is an organization that has helped more than 14,000 American law enforcement officers in the last uh, not even four years. We're coming up on four years in May. And it is made up of officers, all who have been severely injured in the line of duty, many who have had brain brain injuries. And so these men and women continue to want to serve. Many cannot continue to serve in their capacity as a law enforcement officer, but they can share their feelings, their stories with other people who have been injured in the line of duty, and that's what these dedicated men and women do. So we are the Wounded Blue and the WoundedBlue.org. Now, you can help by going to onenationcoffee.com, if you don't like, I mean, who doesn't like a great cup of coffee? And they are. Mm-hmm. They, I actually went to visit them and see their operation just a few weeks ago. And I fell in love with the, with the people. They're patriots, uh, veteran-owned, um, want to really, really help. And so they have, they've teamed with, uh, with uh, uh, Patricia Reina, with the University of Oregon, with the Wounded Blue, and said, how can we help? And they're sharing in their their um, revenues to help our organization and help the University of Oregon in their studies for this incredibly important topic. So um, I am uh, proud to be part of this of this uh, organization, proud to be part of this group of people who care enough to uh, to play a role.
1: Outstanding. Keep up the good work. Lieutenant Randy Sutton from the WoundedBlue.org. The Wounded Blue Lieutenant, Godspeed to you. Keep up the great work on this important issue of traumatic brain injuries. And I hope to have you back on soon.
6: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. Now, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls and more on Biden's economy on forgiveness, on traumatic brain injuries, and anything else you want to talk about because Open Phone America starts at the top of the hour. And uh, we'll get a head start on that. If you want to start calling in now, we can do that. I'm going to go over a couple of headlines with you in the next segment, and uh, we'll set up uh, what Open Phone America is going to look like tonight. But I'm looking forward to your reactions to our guests this evening as well as your thoughts and comments on all of the hottest topics of the day. So keep it locked right here. Don't move a muscle. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: With an S. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, for many of you already know this about me, that I came into talk radio as a producer working on a really big nationally syndicated show right here through West of One, a show called The Mark Levin Show. And Mark Levin was a, a mentor of mine, a friend who still is. I just don't work with him anymore because I'm here with you guys every day. Uh, but he was on the Fox News channel yesterday on Sean Hannity's program and uh, he said something very interesting. He's great at making very provocative and very poignant statements. And I want you to listen to what the great one had to say.
4: Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration nope. over the past few...
1: That's not it. <laughs> that one sounds like Joe El Baboso Biden. Let's see if we could cue up the um, cut number one, Mark Levin. Let me know if we have it.
9: As far as Newsom goes, I thought he banned petroleum products, apparently except for his hair. Have you noticed that? Uh, Reparations. is very interesting. So people who never owned slaves should pay people who never were slaves. You have people who came into this country long after the Civil War. Uh, How are we going to deal with this? But even more than that, I think they're on to something about this reparation issue. I've always said this. The Democrat Party should pay reparations. The Democrat Party is the party of the Confederacy. It's the party of slavery. It's the party of segregation. And it's also now the Party of Poverty, as it's impoverishing people from coast to coast. So I think the Democrat Party should pay reparations. It's amazing to me. Democrat generals, Democrat president of the Confederacy, Democrat monuments are uh, pulled down, and people are saying, take down the Confederate flag. Okay, fine. How does the Democrat Party survive all this when it was the political institution behind it all? So my view is, pay reparations. Democrats pay your reparations to whomever you want to. Yeah, I think he's onto something here.
1: Maybe it's Democrats that should pay reparations since they were responsible for that to begin with. Now I play that audio because a I, I thought it was uh, it was just a great take, uh, but also because there's a headline here. Associated Press, listen to this. Check out the headline. San Francisco Board of Supervisors is open to paying reputation uh, reparations. Excuse me with $5 million payouts. Payouts of $5 million to every eligible black adult, the elimination of personal debt and tax burdens, guaranteed annual income of at least $97,000 for 250 years, and homes in San Francisco for just $1 per family. Now, you heard that right. You heard that right you get $5 million for every eligible black adult. Their debt is forgiven, personal debt. Tax burdens, forgiven. You also guaranteed an annual income of at least 97K for 250 years. Now mind you, um, who lives for 250 years? Anyway, and you can buy a home in San Francisco for just a dollar. Now I know what the announcement of this headline Ancestry.com is going through the roof right now. Everybody's trying to find out how black they are, what type of African-American ancestry they may have. So uh, let's see who, who gets the uh, $5 million from the Board of Supervisors in San Fran. More to come straight ahead. Open Phone America starts right now. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Give us a call. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and uh, we're opening the phone lines for our national late-night town hall forum here on America at Night. The phone number, uh, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337, and, of course, the legacy line will remain open in perpetuity, 866-505-4626. And I want to hear your thoughts on all of the different things we talked about tonight. And we talked about a lot of different things. We had an excellent conversation with Steve Moore. If you missed that, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, com. You can listen to previous episodes there. You could stream them right from that website. You could listen live from that website in case you're on a station where they don't carry all three hours of the show and you want to hear the whole thing. I encourage you to do that because every hour is different. We have different guests, different topics. And, of course, in our final hour, we have different callers. So – we definitely uh, want to encourage you to check out the website and subscribe to the podcast in case you missed anything. I also want to just kind of recap some of the headlines that we discussed. Of course, San Francisco is uh, considering reparations, and it, we'll get back into that momentarily. But um, today, uh, the uh, Biden administration um, they, um, they they've, they've they've had so many things to say. Not the least of which is that the president, where'd it go? It's escaping me here. Uh, was number, he, he said, thank you. <laughs> he said that he praised Mitch McConnell and that the Republican party is in a as existential crisis. Uh, that was part of it. We also talked about the economy. We also talked about forgiveness after sexual assault. One guy was, um, um, lured and and um, and molested by a pedophile. We talked with him, the Reverend Peterson. Uh, that was in our second hour. And um, forgiveness is an interesting thing, right? And it was really cool, that conversation, because ultimately forgiveness was about him and oneself at moving forward. And of course, then we talked about brain injuries, which I know a little bit about because my dad had a traumatic brain injury. And uh, they seem to be on the rise in law enforcement. And there's a bunch of other things that we could talk about as well, whatever is on your mind. But I want to get right to your calls because I know that there's a few of you on the line that have called in uh, with lots to say. So let's, uh, let's go to <clears throat> Ken in Areton, Alabama, WDBT. Ken, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez.
10: Hey, Rich. How you doing, brother? Good to hear you. Thank
1: God. Likewise, brother. Thank you. What's going on?
10: Well, I was wondering about uh, wondering about that uh, thing he had on about the traumatic brain injuries for law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was that again?
1: Okay, so that was Lieutenant Randy Sutton uh, from, uh, let me just pull that up again. The organization was called the Blue, hold on thewoundedblue.org, thewoundedblue.org. If you have any questions for him, definitely direct them to them directly, because I think uh, he's one of very few people doing work in that area.
10: Well, it's about time somebody started to. Uh, Back in 93, when I was the deputy sheriff in Tennessee, I was subject to a severe brain trauma when I uh, wrecked my vehicle going home from work after a double shift. Oh, wow. Well, you sound yeah. terrific
1: today, thank God.
10: Well, thank goodness I had an excellent team of doctors to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. <laughs>
1: you know, it's funny, when that happened to my dad, that's what I used to joke around and say. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, Godspeed to you. I'm glad you're doing well. And and time is really um, important there. A, how young you are when you get the injury, and B, you know how long you have to recover. Because you know, the way I explained it to me at the time, they said it's, your brain is like, a black and blue on your arm, a brain injury. And it, everybody takes a different amount of time to heal from that black and blue. And it all depends also if they're, the trauma is severe enough where you get uh, bleeding in the brain and that can lead to blood clots and, and swelling. And it's just a big deal. And it's uh, it's so unfortunate because so few people really understand how it works and how severe it is. And again, how prevalent it is. It happens about a million more times a year than people getting any type of cancer. Uh, which, uh, is to me mind boggling. And, uh, yeah, you're right. It's all about having a good team. What was your story like? What, uh, did you spend a lot of time in rehab?
10: Yeah. Well, uh, what happened was, uh, you know, I was going home after a double shift and my wife was pregnant with our first at the time. So I had had to take her to the hospital because we had a false alarm. (laughs) So I'd been up for like 18 hours straight and it was dead of winter. And in order to stay awake, I kept the windows down in my car, going home. And uh, as soon as I got about a mile from the house, like uh, like a dumb person, I rolled up the windows and turned on the heater. Wound up in a guy's front yard.
1: Oh shoot! Yeah, don't ever do that. I always. I'm one of those guys too. I, I remember growing up. My 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 buddies would be like, Oh, are you kidding me? I could do anything." I'd never, you know. I, I don't fall asleep, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, man, not me. I, I open the window, turn off the heat. I freeze. I smack myself in the face. I do whatever I got to do because you never know. Uh, things can get crazy.
10: And I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go right ahead. I was just going to try to get get a hold of that guy so I can try to get up with the people in uh, at the University of Oregon. Maybe they could use me as a study guide or something.
1: Yeah. Listen, uh, I, I totally encourage that. The wounded org is, is the website. Make sure you check them out. And, uh, and maybe our, um, producer, when, when we're done with our call, he can give you, uh, some additional information on how to get in touch. Uh, because I think, um, it, you, you got to work together with this type of thing, cause it's really important. Ken, thank you for your service as a deputy sheriff. Thanks for your listenership as, uh, as, uh, part of the amigos here that listen to America at night and, uh, and Godspeed to you because, um, it, it's not easy to overcome a traumatic brain injury. So thank you. Uh, let us continue with your calls. These are really good calls. Let's go to Evergreen, Montana, K-O-F-I. Let's check in with our buddy Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Frank, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome.
11: Hey, Rich. I like your subject on, uh, on, the, on the on the concussion issue. With, yes, with the men thank you. It reminds me of back 50 years ago with a Vietnam draft was going on and uh, it was uh, a lot of the some of the vets coming back were wounded and but they were given jobs as police officers and but they had concussions from the war but they were still uh, given nightsticks and just do their duty that they just were you know treated like dogs.
1: You know. Yeah, you know, it's difficult to diagnose a lot of these brain injuries and concussion is one that's somewhat a little bit more diagnosable because they've found similarities with uh, certain symptoms. But uh, other brain injuries, you don't know what's going on. People think they're having strokes. They think that, you know, they're, they're confused. They might be poisoned. All sorts of things go through their mind when they're like, oh, man, I don't know how to tie my shoe today. Or, oh, man, who the heck are you when they start facing like short-term memory loss? And it, it's, uh, it's really, really tough. Around the time that I went through that in my own family, another like extended family member, uh, you know, in law of mine uh, had a young man in their family that um, had split his head open in a motorcycle accident. And they thought he was a goner. And, you know, in about seven or eight months of very, very um, strict rehabilitation and and uh, and, um, you know, all the other care he was getting, they had uh, they put him back together, too. And again, never came back to maybe being 100%, but he was probably a good 90%, 95% of who he was with most of his motor skills back, which I thought was great. And uh, yeah, you bring up a point. A lot of these these um, head injuries do go undiagnosed. If there isn't the blood clot, if it isn't something you could see on an MRI where there's physical damage, you've got to wait to see how these uh, symptoms manifest, Frank.
11: Yeah, And in my case, I I recall... In my past, my my grandfather had a VA hospital in Spokane, and you know, here's all these old soldiers. They they smoked and they smoked pipes, and they had breathing issues, and it was they were all cantankerous old people. And uh, um, but the the army gave them cigarettes as part of their ration kit, and it was just it's a uh, the, <laughs> yeah, well, back
1: me, then, right? Everybody was saying, "No, cigarettes are okay. It's it's okay as long as you know, as long as you look cool while you're
11: doing it." Law enforcement now are a lot healthier. They're not smoking cigarettes and or doing uh, marijuana, and they're, they have better cardiovascular systems, and they we can recover from concussions a lot, a lot, uh, a lot quicker.
1: It's, yeah, it's no, good. it's an excellent point. And we know more. And you I think you hit the nail on the head. The other day I was scrolling on the social media application known as Instagram. And uh somebody had posted a video of people balking at um a don't drink and drive campaign from I think the early eighties. And it was like a man on the street interview. And they were like, you know, what do you think of the new law that says you can't drink and to drive? And it was a guy in his pickup truck. He was like, well, you know, I think I think this is really messed up because, you know, when you work hard all day and, you know, you want to throw back a cold one or open up a six pack on your way home, maybe you got a long ride. And now to say that, you know, you can't have a couple of beers on the way home. You know, who are they to tell us what we can do when we're driving? and i thought man isn't it interesting how how far we've come from that time and they also interviewed a girl and she you know she was even more adamant about you know what, what is the government you know what right do they have to say what i can do you know I'm, I'm, if i'm drinking beers i'm in my own car what what's it, what's it to them and it was just great if i can find the audio i will play it for you cuz i thought it was just Terrific um, to, to see that juxtaposition. But you're right. Uh, there there were lots of things that happened back in the days where we recommended things that probably weren't good. And, uh, you know, seatbelts also, you know, that was kind of optional for a while until they realized, man, people are banging up their heads. We should probably uh, put seatbelts on people helmets too. Anyway, Frank, thanks for your call. I appreciate it. Always a good commentary from Frank in Evergreen, Montana, KOFI. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. We're going to go to, uh, let's see, Idaho, Missouri, Connecticut, and more. 833, the number 4 Valdez, 833-4 Valdez is the phone number. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. Open Phone America continues in a moment.
0: This is America. Night with Rich Valdez. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down.
1: All right, America, welcome back. And our crack squad in the control room was able to locate the audio of that video clip I was telling you about where the people were complaining about driving uh, and drinking and driving coming to an end. And we have that audio. I want you to listen to this.
0: Still, any attempt to restrict drinking and driving here is viewed by some as downright undemocratic.
12: It's kinda of getting common this when a fella can't put in a hard day's work, put in 11, 12 hours a day, and then get in your truck and at least run one or two beers. They're making
13: it laws where you can't drink when you want to. You can't you have to wear a seatbelt
12: when you're driving and pretty soon we're gonna be common this country.
1: <laughs> I love that. I, I, I got to tell you, I really, I got to kick out of it. I probably listened to it three times on loop. I was like, man, that's terrific. Because it, it goes to show you the historical context, right, of how different things were. And again, that's just one sample of society. I don't know what state or what region of the country they were in. It sounds like the South. But it, it's interesting to me to see how things have come. So that means in that day and age, it was not unheard of to say, you know what? putting on a seatbelt. I can't drink beers while I'm driving my car. What's wrong with you? What do you think this is? What is this Cuba? You know, and, and that was their real reaction. However, today, nobody would think such a thing, right? Today it's put a helmet on and keep it moving. Anyway, let's go to Dustin in Sandpoint, Idaho, KSPT. Dustin, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
13: Hey, how are you doing tonight?
1: Wonderful. Thank you.
13: Um, I, I heard the session about, um, traumatic brain injury and yes, I, I have traumatic brain injury due to multiple concussions, um, from skiing. Um, and I just wanted to let parents know anybody listening that has, have kids, um mm-hmm. if they hit their head hard with a helmet, that helmet is a one hit wonder and it needs to be replaced. Oh that wow, that's was good my to know.
1: downfall. So you were wearing a helmet, but because you were taking these hits, you didn't replace the helmet and were getting more concussions as a result of not replacing the helmet.
13: Correct. Yeah. They're made to break so your head doesn't. But after that, they don't really help with any kind of, um, um, concussion related help. So, I'm um, I've been trying to let as many people know as possible and yeah, I'm an avid well, here and I love it. So the, I thought this would be a great way to let as many people know, so there's less people. Um, in their 30s with traumatic brain injury.
1: Great point, Dustin. Thank you, um, and uh, God speed to you as you continue to recover from the TBI. It's it, I know time eventually heals a lot of those wounds, and I uh, appreciate the call from Sandpoint, Idaho, KSPT. Let's continue it with uh, Connecticut. Right, let's go to Ridgefield, Connecticut, and uh, check in with Josette on Wlad. Hey, Josette, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome.
14: Well, I'm glad to be on because I think uh, sharing experiences increases more success in treating. And I was 17 years old. I am now 88 years old. And we had a 16-wheeler truck on the post road uh, crashing into six people in a car I was in the back seat, I wound up under the front dashboard, and uh, making a long story short, I had uh, seven, at least, skull fractures, and very, very bad, all across the frontal forehead of my brain, brain injury, probably also, <laughs> at age 88. The scar tissue and so forth makes it look as if I've had a a stroke, that it's sort of drooping down on one side. So at age 88, I always have to carefully explain to any doctor this is the result of traumatic brain injury from when I was 17. I was unconscious for a week, and then in the hospital for over a month. Then I had two or three weeks at home, very quiet at home, and then I started my freshman year at college. Wow. <laughs> the neurologist happened to be one of the best ones in Connecticut. They called okay. him out of bed at four in the morning to come down, and he wrote a very... Uh, detailed description of what he had found on first examining and what x-rays and so on showed and how I was unconscious for so long. But when I came to, uh, I was coherent and evidently um, it was a matter of keeping me somewhat quiet. There was no television in those days. This was nineteen fifty two, three, two. three, two. Well, Josette,
1: the music means we have to go, but Godspeed to you. I'm glad you've pulled out and you recovered. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Keep with us. Give us a call 833-4-Valdez. Josette, again, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. S all right. So we've got, uh, just another reminder that you can sign up for notifications right on your cell phone or tablet, uh, where you could listen to this. anytime you like on demand, just go to rich America at night.com, especially if you missed any of our guests in our number one, we had uh Steve Moron and uh, he's a former white house economist excellent um, when it comes to giving commentary on the economy. And we know that President Biden had blamed this um, bank collapse on President Trump and somehow uh, the policies of the Trump administration are somehow to blame for everything from train derailments to banks that are failing, you know, years and years after Trump has been out of office. But that's exactly what happened. And uh, here's what Steve Moore had to say.
5: Number one, this had nothing to do with what Donald Trump did in terms of, quote, deregulation. There's no industry in America that is more regulated than the banking industry. That's number one. Number two, for Joe Biden to say this isn't the bailout, is crazy. Of course it's a bailout. Of course it is. Of course we're bailing out these investors. And number three, there's a third point I want to make. It is flatly untrue to say that taxpayers aren't going to, I, think, I forget how he put it, he said something like, Taxpayers
1: aren't on
5: the hook
1: for any of this. That's completely wrong. That's uh, Steve Moore. If you want to hear the full interview, if you missed it this evening, check it out at uh, richvaldezamericatnight.com and uh, subscribe. Now, I want to get to uh, some of the additional thoughts on that. I hear, what was the cut I wanted to see? Susan Rice, she um, continues to defend this bailout. Uh, saying that it would be catastrophic if it didn't happen. She's on with Jonathan Lemire on MSNBC. Listen to this.
2: What is your level of concern
9: about the
15: looming debt ceiling fight? Well, I mean, Jonathan, everybody understands that it would be the absolute height of irresponsibility for the United States uh, to renege on the commitments that it has made in the past. This is not about what we might do in the future and and spending going forward. This is about the full faith and credit of the United States of America. We have never, ever, ever compromised on that. If we were to do so, it would be catastrophic. Those who are threatening it are deeply irresponsible. Um, And what we need to do now is do what we have done every time in the past of our history which is to meet our obligations uh, by raising the debt ceiling. Twenty five percent of the debt that we're talking about was incurred during the prior administration. uh, And we have historically raised the debt ceiling on a bipartisan basis. That's what should happen now. Uh, It's absolutely critical.
1: You know what else you've raised? You've historically raised taxes On a bipartisan basis, you've historically increased the size of government on a bipartisan basis. You've historically made the lives of Americans worse on a bipartisan basis, minus the three years, uh, the first three years of the Trump administration, where the average annual household income went up for the first time, I don't know, ever, at least in my lifetime, uh, where it went up uh, by, I think, 6,500 bucks. Yet, um... You know, she tries to paint this picture, and and all Democrats do, that this is how you do it. And all I can say is, look, this is an argument that every American should reject. Every single American, I don't care if you live within your means or above your means. I really don't. I hope that you live within your means because your life will be better. But if you don't, let's say you're the type of person that says, look, I'm going to buy myself a house. I'm going to lie about how much money I make. I can't afford this house. It doesn't matter. I'll figure out. I'll rob from Peter to pay Paul. I just want a nice house. Okay, great. Now you're, you're in your nice house. At some point, you have to pay the debt you have or you lose what you have. The United States government is never faced with that because they don't produce anything. And because they don't produce anything, they spend your money and mine. And this is the problem that I have with this, where they're more than happy more than happy on any occasion to just say, well, we're just going to have to figure out a way to raise more taxes. We're going to have to raise the debt ceiling so we can borrow more money or incur more debt. And again, you've heard this analogy a thousand times, but a thousand and one isn't going to kill you. If you have debt and you have a mortgage and you've got groceries and car notes and all things you got to pay every month and you don't have enough cash coming in, and you decide to put it on your credit card, but you've done that for six months in a row, and now you're at your the limit on your credit card, can you really call your credit card company and ask for an increase? Maybe some of you can. Maybe some of you will get it, but the majority of people aren't. Most banks are going to say, no, your income didn't go up. Why would I lend you more money? That's a, it's a, it's a liability. It's a risk on me that I don't want to take. And, and that's where we are. And that's why no American should accept that argument, that we should just raise the debt ceiling. No, don't raise the debt ceiling. Live within your means. Bottom line. I mean, why is that so hard? I don't know. Anyway, we're going to continue with Open Phone America. I just want to give you some, uh, some of the stories that we're discussing tonight. Uh, listen to this. Police say that no foul play was uh, determined in the death of a man who claimed he was being chased by four other men in a pickup truck. The man was found dead with no teeth. However, they say there was no foul play. This reminds me of the story we talked about a few days ago where they said uh, the um, a dead body was found rolled up in a carpet outside of a funeral home. And no foul play was found there either. They're saying, you know, no foul play. Excuse me. There's a dead body in a carpet. Excuse me. There's a dead body found with no teeth after the guy called his mother on the phone and said, I'm being chased by four guys. I mean, how do you say there's no foul play? I mean, it just, that's beyond me. So we're going to talk about that. And I'd like your calls on that kind of crazy. Uh, We also have here a member of, this is a good one. A member of the Middleton Road Island Affordable Housing Committee has resigned because they could not find anywhere affordable to live. No affordable housing for the affordable housing employee, forcing them to move out of town. So we're going to get your thoughts on that as well, plus all the rest of the topics. And we might go back to that drone topic um, if there's any developments on it. If not, we'll leave it for tomorrow when we might have some more to report on it and more to discuss, more to comment on. Anyway, I'm looking forward to your calls from across the country. The phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. More to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Seven eight three three
1: four That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way. Uh, looking forward to speaking with you guys tonight. Open phone, America, and it's uh, 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Now, one of the stories that we were talking about um, a moment ago was how the police are saying there's no foul play here here's the headline from NBC news a black man was found dead after he told his mother he was being chased police said there's no reason to suspect foul play rashim carter's mother said that he disappeared in october he called in a panic to say white men were chasing him in trucks and hurling racial slurs it continues the family of this black man who was found dead in Mississippi after he warned his mother and he was being chased, uh, (laughs) according to federal investigators on Monday and local authorities. uh, I just, I'm I'm stunned at this, that there's no, there's a quote, no reason to suspect foul play in the man's death. Now, this uh, gentleman, Mr. Carter, Rashim Carter, 25 years old, was reported missing back in October after his mother said he'd sought help from police and frantically called her to say white men were chasing him in a truck. Again, the the details of the story are, you know, hearsay. I get that. And maybe he was chased. Maybe he wasn't chased. The bottom line is if you find a dead body, and again, maybe this is one where if you're on the job, if you're a a cop um, or a federal investigator, please call. And let me know if this is like jargon that maybe I'm just not familiar with it. I'd never heard before, but I've been doing this stuff for a while. I'd never heard of no foul play. The guy, the guy was found dead. His remains were found in a wooded area uh, south of Taylorsville, Mississippi. And um, I mean, this is to me, how could you not? How could you say there's no foul play? I mean, that's really the issue for me. How could you just go on and say, um, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, the kid, you know, he called, he said he was being chased. Uh, we found the dead body, but we don't have any reason to believe. What do you think? He died of natural causes and ended up in this wooded area. Carter's front teeth were missing from the top and bottom rows of his mouth. So they say that they, his family says, they believe he was assaulted before he died. Well, genius, yeah, I would agree with that too. Either assaulted or, you know, they killed him and they took his teeth out so they couldn't identify him, which clearly didn't work because they did identify him. Anyway, the Laurel Police Department, which put out Carter's uh, missing person missing persons report, worked on the case early that afternoon after the Carter family asked for assistance. And uh, Chief uh, Tommy Cox told this to NBC News. Uh, Cox said that the Carter that Mr Carter had not contacted his department for help before he went missing and that the Laurel Police Department handed its investigation over to Smith County once it was clear it was outside of its jurisdiction. Cox and his department pulled some phone records and may have interviewed some of Carter's co-workers but he declined to elaborate further, saying, "We tried to put ourselves in their shoes. It didn't hurt us to do a little bit of work on it," Cox said. We did what we considered to be the right thing, and then when it became obvious which jurisdiction would be the lead, we turned it over to them. The Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, which is assisting the sheriff in its probe, said Carter's autopsy was completed on February 2nd, but declined to comment further, citing the open and ongoing investigation. The FBI is not currently involved in the case. Uh, But the family is pushing for a federal investigation. Three members of Carter's family said authorities told them wild animals may have torn his body apart. So, again, if the theory that he was driving in his truck and he was being chased by these other people is true, uh, then maybe he ran into the swamp and was torn apart by some sort of Mississippi gator or something like that. Again, I don't know. Uh, just the, the whole thing doesn't make sense to me that they say no foul play. Um, I, I guess unless, is that what you say when you find somebody in a in a swampy, wooded area and and they're dead? <laughs> and you, you just presume that this guy who's 20-something years old uh, just happened to die there? I mean, how do you not suspect any of that? Um, I, I'm just, I'm just not a... It's not working for me, folks. This one's not working for me. Let's uh, go to your calls. Jennifer in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Jennifer, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
5: Jennifer in
1: Aberdeen. Hi, Jennifer on KSDN. Are you there? Yes,
0: I'm here.
1: Go right ahead. Can you
0: hear me?
1: Loud and clear. Please speak.
0: i not here. Can you hear me? Right ahead.
1: Hey, Hi. I do hear you, and I'd like you to talk. Okay, right. Please speak. Okay, great. She must have had her radio on. Well, let's go to Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Paul, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
12: Good evening, Rich. Yeah, I'd like to talk about the reparations there out in California. Um, yes. You know, don't you think that the money could be spent a lot better Maybe cleaning up the homelessness out there. You know, I seen a thing on the TV the other day that it's just atrocious in the streets. And I think that Gas or uh, Newsom would have something better to do or spend his money, you know, rather than uh, try to dual out five million a piece, you know, for whoever qualifies for these reparations. But you know, he's got problems out there that that um, I think he should uh, concentrate on a little more. I mean, don't you? I mean, uh, this guy's horrendous.
1: I I agree with you, but let me just give you a little context here. So this proposal, these are part of a hundred different recommendations that were made by the city appointed reparations committee. So this is a citywide effort for the city of San Francisco and their board of supervisors. It's different than the reparations that was being proposed at the state level by Governor Newsom. Um, All that being said, uh, he could definitely weigh in as governor. And so can Nancy Pelosi, their congressperson who used to be mayor in San Francisco. And yet we're not seeing any of that stuff actually happening. But you're right. There's a huge problem with the homelessness in in that part of town. And it, it's fascinating to me that nothing's happening despite, you know, despite the, um, the onslaught of homelessness. I mean, property values have to be going down. Uh, the other day we talked about how half of all homeless people are located in one state, California. And the overall yeah. homeless population in California grew by 6%. So it, it's just fascinating to me because I would have thought that they would have kind of been sprinkled around the country in different states. Turns out half uh, or a third, at least, of the entire homeless population and half of all unsheltered homeless people live in California. So clearly they have a problem like no other state has a problem. And you're right, and they want to give away $5 bucks to people in terms of uh, yeah. in the name of reparations, Paul.
12: Yeah, and who would pay for that too? Who would pay for those reparations? <clears throat> I just think that's something that sounds like one of those big old pork things that they put in these bills.
1: Yeah, well, somebody in California, the people that own property and pay a ton of money in property tax to live in San Francisco— they're the ones that are doing it. And, you know, the emphasis here is on unsheltered homeless. And the reason being is because they create their own shelters, in particular in Los Angeles and in uh, San Francisco, where they have these huge tent communities where they are uh, more than happy, more than happy to just live on the street, defecate in front of your home, do their drugs right in front of your children. And um, the big problem here, reparations. You know, just blows me away, blows me away. The the whole thing is bizarre to me. I think you raise an excellent point. And uh, this seems to be the issue that we've seen throughout um, from, from from when Biden launched his campaign. I, and I, and this is part of why I I probably have so much disdain for this administration, but Biden launches a campaign when we're in the middle of um, so many things, right? American families, Household, median household income is going up. Uh, Unemployment is going down. And Biden launches his first campaign ad with a bunch of guys who marched in Charlottesville with tiki torches shouting, the Jews will not replace us, saying that, you know, because of Donald Trump, we have more Nazis or neo-Nazis. And and I think that that couldn't be further from the truth. But that was, in fact, uh, the way he launched his campaign. And it's been one gaslighting after another from this administration and all in the name of some sort of social inequity. It's a shame, but what are you going to do? Paul, I appreciate the call. We're going to take a quick pause right here and the rest of your call straight ahead. 833-482-5337. I am Rich Valdez coming right back.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. It's Rich
1: Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're in the final minutes of Open Phone America. Let's go to our friend, Steve. He's in Cleveland, Ohio, W-E-O-L. Steve, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
16: Hey, Rich, I had to anoint you at the nighttime Keener radio.
1: Oh, my goodness. Too kind, too kind.
16: Seriously. The- no, thank you. You really are. You, really, uh, I don't know what Chris Christie did, but you must have learned something from him. Yeah, you did. You left.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's very nice of you to say. I do
16: appreciate it. I hope people know who the heck they're listening to. But hey, uh, um, there's about 30 years of Rush Limbaugh um, archives. They probably have all the answers in there, starting with Biden. And uh, if you listen to Trump for two hours and the guy can hit a golf ball 250 yards and he's 76, um, that says it all. We were at peace. Our borders were good and uh if anybody wants to go to youtube and watch uh ukraine uh beat up on russia at least what they show there's some serious stuff out there and i mean what i see over there it's 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 such a waste and this this country but east palestine uh jd vance is down there taking care of people and i just hope people understand what happened down there because that vinyl chloride there's two different kinds and Mm -hmm. uh i don't know if that I don't know. It it was a mess, but I don't know if that controlled fire, that controlled burn was for real or not. But I mean, if, if it was like, you know, set up, but uh, yeah, I'm with you.
1: I don't know what to think about that. All I know is that I think that's going to be like one of these places that we complain about for years and years and years, Steve, thank you for the call by the way. And I think we need to make sure people get out of there and that they go live somewhere else that's safer because it doesn't look like it's going to be safe for quite a while. Anyway, take care. Good night. God bless. We're going to do this all again tomorrow, God willing. I appreciate all of you. Looking forward to chatting with you online at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And again, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I'm Rich Valdez.
2: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together.